In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Gentlemen, it's after Christmas. Welcome back to the podcast. I keep getting these people telling me more David Solomon, and here he is. We finally got him back here, Dr. David Solomon. Happy holidays. I'm so thankful you're back, and I can't wait to get into this discussion today. How are you? Maybe for some people that may not, that may be joining us for the first time, could you introduce yourself? Sure, and it's good good to see you again, George. Happy holidays. Stuck right here in between uh, Christmas and New Year's, um, and and everything else. Uh, so I am uh, I am the director of undergraduate research and creative activity at Christopher Newport University, which is in Newport News, Virginia, um, near Virginia Beach. Um, been here for this is my sixth year, um, three decades as a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature, religion, and culture. Um, written a few books. My most recent one is on the seven deadly sins and, uh, just, uh, trying to get through the holiday season, you know, with its, with its, with its joys and its, and its, uh, sadness. I think it's both, right? Absolutely. It's that double-edged sword of yeah. pleasure and pain, which brings us to a, a quote that I recently heard that I think can start us off is, I think it was from Raj Patal who said in today's world, we know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. What what yeah. is what is going on in this world of what things are worth? You've written an interesting blog, which people can find in the show notes down below. But let's let's talk about your your blog and these ideas that you were having. Maybe you could start us off. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there is a real distinction now between worth and and value, and what and what does value mean? Um, you know, we we tend to think in our contemporary Western world of of value as being monetary. And only monetary, and that we think of things worth being again in terms of of the dollar, and um, that is not the way things always were, and it is probably not the best way for us to operate. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning and thinking about the difference that we 
that we make between uh, monetary value and sentimental value, right? And so we'll say, you know, well, I, you know, I'm holding on to this, you know, book because it has sentimental value because, you know, it, it means something to me. It has no monetary worth, um, you know, so someone outside looking at it objectively would say, well, you know, well, why hold on to that? It's not worth anything. And it's, so I think there's a distinction here. And it's an important one to make because it really does uh, increasingly affect the way that we perceive our own worth as human beings and the worth of others. And especially around this time of the year, it's it's really interesting. I, I had to run into my office this morning. We're, we're closed this week, but I had to run in this morning to, to drop some things off and, and grab something from my office. And I was surprised there was a young woman working in the building. I, my office is in our library, and the library, of course, is closed. And um, there was a young woman working in the library. I actually had never seen her before. And so I started, I struck up a conversation with her to see, you know, how she was doing. She was, I think she was the only person in the building. And I said, you've got to work the whole week. And she said, well, I'm part-time. So part-timers only work when they, only get paid when they work, whereas full-timers were given the week off uh, for the holiday. And um, it just, it just, you know, it, it, it struck me as I, I was talking to her and I, I, I thanked her for, for working and for the hard work that she does. Um, because there's a good example of, you know, the question of the worth of a person and the, and the meaning of the money. It's just, uh, our world is just so bass backwards when it comes to looking at value in terms of money. Um, and I think that that, that comes down to everything from the things that we own to the way that we, we look at jobs and salaries and and think about uh you know the, the material objects that that we get as a result of that yeah it uh, it seems to me and i'm curious to get your opinion on this you know we have so much technology today and and, and the way the world is going it it seems to me that somewhere along the line we have decided that we shouldn't mold a model based on what's best for humanity, but instead we've built a model that's based on profit. And when you do that, you irreversibly undermine the credibility of the leaders and the human experience. Yeah. No, it's based on profit. It's based yeah. on instant gratification. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, it, 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 it reminds me, you know, it's the, the, the scene in the graduate where, you know, the future is plastic. Right. <laughs> um, I, you know, I went into a, a, a a Best Buy yesterday. I think I can say the name of the place, and um, and they had a TV right there at the front of the store. They had them stacked up. There must have been a dozen of them still there. Um, I think it was a sixty-five inch TV, and it was like six hundred dollars. Wow. Um, you know, and that's just uh, you know, if you think back to how much TVs cost, I mean, I, I think our first color TV probably cost six hundred dollars, if not more. And it was one of those gigantic console TVs. Um, and you know, it, it just reminds me of the days when, when things broke, you got them fixed. Yep. Um, and we don't do that anymore. We live in largely a disposable society. If something breaks, you get rid of it and you replace it. And that's because largely they, uh, they don't cost as much as, as they once did. So we look at the things as disposable. I mean, I was talking to you before, George, before we went on the air, my, my MacBook this morning started acting, acting all wonky. 
which is unusual. And um, I, I don't know what's going on, but it, it, you know, then I looked it up and I realized, well, it is, you know, four years old and I do use it a heck of a lot. And it's probably at the end of its life. And, you know, if you go back 30, 40 years and think about our parents and our grandparents, I mean, if you said that something at the end of three or four years was at the end of its life, they'd, they'd look at you like you were insane. <laughs> um, you know, what, what are you talking about? I mean, get it fixed. Uh, you know, I saw, I saw a great meme on Facebook this morning that showed this hideous olive refrigerator from the 1970s that many of us remember. <laughs> and those things will outlive us all. Right. I mean, the, the things were built to last. And I think that that said something about the way that we valued them. Um, we valued them. With, we, we gave them greater value. Mm -hmm. um, we were willing to spend a lot of money on an item because the assumption was, well, it's going to last. Um, you know, it, it and that really doesn't happen anymore with anything. Clothes. Right. I mean. You've got a young daughter. I mean, I've got a, a, a 19 year old daughter. I mean, clothes doesn't last. Um, and, and, you know, my daughter who, who her and her friends love to shop at, at a, a discount. Well, it's not a discount, but it's a place. I, I won't say the name because I shouldn't say names on here. Huh? Um, and I mean, they're notorious for having clothes that are dirt cheap, but, the, but they're made terribly. Um, they're going to fall apart and they know that buying them. And they're okay with that. You know, yeah, just I want being an indication of 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 the way that we we think about about worth, and I think that if that then sort of transcends then to the way that we look at people and the way that we look at each other and the value that we yes. give to each other. Yeah, that's that was my next question. It seems to me that <clears throat> it's all connected. And so if we begin to live in this world of what Benjamin George is talking about, Apple's planned obsolescence is deliberate. <laughs> you know, when we began to look at that idea of planned obsolescence and you had mentioned that it seems in the past there was a greater emphasis on craftsmanship and pride in work. And, you know, that has to affect our psyche. That has to affect the way we look at ourselves when you buy something and it fails in two years that has a psychological effect on you and, it, and if you have if you're surrounded if you are in fact a extension of everything that surrounds you and everything is planned obsolescence maybe that's why we're seeing this surge in in sort of um uh euthanasia and that's why we're seeing this i've heard more sirens this year during christmas than i ever have mm -hmm. in my life and it makes me sad you know, yeah. and I'm wondering, this, those, those things got to be connected. And it's this idea of worth. Like, we are worth so much more. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it, and we are seeing kind of a, of a renaissance in craftsmanship yeah. and an interest in vintage and antique items. And I think that that, um, that largely speaks to this question as far as when we're talking about things, at least, right? Yeah. Um, that that we 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 do value craftsmanship. Yep. Um. And but the problem is that, you know, it was interesting. We we when we were traveling over the holidays, we were up in um we were in Massachusetts visiting my mother-in-law, and um, I don't remember why, but there was a there's a Walmart down the street from where she lives, and so we went 
uh, down there to to pick up something. I can't even remember what we went in there. Oh, my daughter wanted peanut butter, <laughs> and um, and we don't shop in Walmart as as a rule um, for a variety of reasons. And um, it's just incredible because the the prices are so low. You can see why people do. And I think, you know, that that's the thing here. It's you, you walk into a store where 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 items are priced high because they're made well. And we've made that a class thing. Um, you know, I, I, I can remember when I was in high school, um, I, I was dating this girl who I took to prom and her birthday was coming up. So I wanted to get her a birthday present. So my, my best friend at the time and I, we went to the mall and um, we went to this jewelry store. And I'll never forget this. We walked into the jewelry store. And as soon as we walked in, I realized that this was way out of my price range. Uh, it was carpeted and there were places to sit in front of the, 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 the display cases. And I thought, oh, no, I'm, I'm really screwed here. But I was already in the store. So, you know, you got to save face, right? Right. So I, I walked walked forward and the salesperson came forward to, to greet me and hand and, and I, I think I stumbled on a buckle in the carpet and nearly mm -hmm. face planted on the floor. <laughs> um, and we just hightailed it out of there because it was but we've turned it into a, 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 a class a class issue. And um, that I think is is really dangerous. Mm. It's dangerous because it pigeonholes people. Um, you know, I, I, I think back to, uh, to uh, you know, we bring them up often, Shakespeare. Um, and when I teach Shakespeare and we talk about, you know, whether or not these characters are have any kind of mobility when it comes to society. Yeah. Or are you just born into what you're born into and that's it? Um, and I, I think that part of the the so-called American dream, which many argue is dead, um, is that you aren't born into a, a spot that you are stuck in, that you can move about in society, in class. And I think it's more than, it's more than, it's, it's indicated by more than just salary. Um, I think it's indicated by our, our, our spirituality. It's indicated by what we value in others. And that's a tremendous part of the reflecting that so many of us are doing this last week of the year, right? I mean, it's this time for reflection as the new year comes and you start to think about what you're grateful for and what you're thankful for and how, and, and it's, most often it's about the way that you value friends and, and family uh, and, and colleagues and people who like that young woman working in the library this morning, who I didn't, I don't even know her. Um, but, you know, I, I, I value her for what she's doing and I respect her for it. And, and I want to show her that I appreciate that. Um, you know, a, a few weeks ago before we uh, closed down for the, the holidays on campus, I threw a, a holiday party in my office. Um, we did it before COVID, but we haven't done it since. Um, of course, we couldn't in the time in between. And it was, we, I, I catered from outside. 
Um, and we pretty much open it up as an open house. But I make sure that I personally invite the housekeeping staff. Yeah. Um, and when they showed up, I mean, you, you, a couple of people even mentioned, you know, that they look like the happiest people in the world, um, that they were getting Olive Garden, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if I can do that, then then to show them how I value them, that's great. But I, it isn't just that one time in the year, right? I'm always baffled at how people treat others who are doing menial work and 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 ignore them or look down on them and i don't i don't know which one is worse i think ignoring mm. them is actually worse um and i remember a couple, a couple of years ago uh, i think it was when i first got here i was talking to somebody on campus who worked in the physical plant it was either a housekeeper or one of the guys who work on campus and I was having a conversation with him. And, and later on, a colleague of mine said that the, she noticed it. And she said, the guy looked stunned. And I said, I don't know why. And she said, because probably never nobody really ever, ever talks to him. I mean, they don't talk to professors. Professors don't talk to them. Um, there is in our culture such a, a hierarchy, yeah, which I think is is such a dangerous and nasty thing i mean you know my daughter complains that i'll talk to anyone um you know i mean i i, I had a half hour conversation with the with the, the 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 guy who calls for the cabs at the hotel when i was in washington <laughs> dc over the summer i found out all about him what an interesting life the guys yeah had. um it's important to to do that to show that we value each other yeah that seems like the fabric of society that keeps us together and you know, I, I I think there's a lot to be said about social mobility in a healthy society. When there is no social mobility, then I think you start running into the despairs that, or the cancers that can cause the deterioration of society. You run into yeah. these things called hate and dishonesty and distrust, and you know, there's there's no self care in that particular relationship, and no self respect. It's difficult to respect yourself when you don't respect others around you. And and like you said, you spoke with a guy that you may not have had a whole lot in common, but when you start talking about cabs, you realize I don't know anything about cabs. This guy's an expert. This guy's got a lot of information that I could probably learn from. He he had told me he'd worked for that hotel for something like thirty years. He'd worked his way up. He's done just about everything there could be in there. Um, and now he was the 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 the, the doorman who stands out in front. Um, and, you know, I, we were talking about the people he meets and it was, it, it was intriguing. Um, I think it's really important to get that insight into how, what makes people tick and, and what gets them to where they are, what, how they got to where they are. Um, I mean, he said he was very happy with what he did. He was yeah. very happy. Um, you know, whereas other people might look and say, Oh, what a cruddy job. You know, stand out there all day calling cabs for people. He said he loved it. Um, you know, and and so I gained an appreciation for what he did by talking to him, and and then further gained an appreciation for for just for him um, as a as another human being, and not thinking about him as you know the doorman, right? Um, you know, the, the, in the, in the and I think about the closing, there's a closing scene and there's a novel by Saul Bellow called Seize the Day. I don't know if you know it. Um, it was Bellow's first uh, first book. Um, Bellow, the great 
Chicago novelist, Nobel Prize winner, um, and sees the day um, his first novel um, published, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, it's about a, a, a guy who is basically down on his luck and um, is trying to get help from his very wealthy father who refuses to, to give it to him. And at the end of the novel, um, Tommy Wilhelm, this character, um, has been taken in by a scam artist. And he's running through the city looking to try to find him because the guy has disappeared with his money, what, what was left of his money. He stumbles into a, a funeral. Um, and he gets into the funeral line. And as he gets to the front of the line, he starts weeping. And the people who are sitting there at the funeral think, oh, that must be somebody, you know, very close to the, the deceased, you know. And and the interior monologue that Bella gives you is that what Tommy was really thinking is that there's another human being. Um, it's just that simple. Um, it's that, that we consider each other as human beings. We're, I mean, you know, it sounds cliche, but you know, on, on one level or all equal, right? Yeah. Um, there's not much that makes us different. Um, and when it comes to, to looking at, at worth, I mean, we've talked about that. I told you that story about my trip to San Francisco when I was in graduate school and, and meeting that, that homeless gentleman on the street and, and kneeling down to give him some money and looking him right in the eye and saying, you know, you took care of yourself. And he just looked stunned. Um, that afternoon that I had that day was just life-changing for me because it just showed me how we're all the same. We're all just trying to, to make it right. Um, whether I'm, you know, standing there with my, my new briefcase and my trench coat and trying to get a job as a professor or the guy who's in the jumpsuit cleaning out the ashtrays at the, at the elevator, um, we're all trying to do the same thing. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, that speaks to how considerate we are of each other. Um, you know, there's been so much talk during and since COVID about, about showing grace for people, right? Give mm. people grace, give them a little bit of space. Yeah. Right. And I, 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 I think we should always be doing that. We're all struggling. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating to me to think about, you know, I, I have some, I had some notes that I, that I was thinking about and it just turned out that I had one written on grace and I forgot exactly what I, what I did with it, but there, there seems to be, and maybe you can speak to this because I think it's relevant. You know, I, there's two ideas I think in theology about grace, one is eminence and one is eminence. And, and one is that grace comes from God to us. And then one is that emanates from inside us. Are you familiar with those two things? Maybe you could flesh those yeah, out for us. Yeah, more or less. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, again, it's that, that distinction between how we view the deity, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, is it external to us? And are we waiting for presence, basically? Both in the sense of presence with a TS and presence with a CE. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, you know, are we waiting for that or do we make that ourselves? Now, of course, you know, in, in, in 
Catholic theology, I mean, the idea is that that only God grants grace, right? I mean, you can't do it. But I think that as we have moved to a more, I don't know if it's even secular or if it's ecumenical society, mm. um, I think we've gotten a little bit beyond that notion with the idea that, yeah, we really do need to, to show grace. Um, and, and we can. Um, yeah. And that if we if we operate under the notion that it will only be given to us from above it's going to create a lot of division and a lot as you mentioned before a lot of hatred mm -hmm. um, and a lot of uh, lack of compassion for each other i mean the only reason that i have compassion for someone is, is because i can i can show them some grace i understand what you're going through you know here you know ha have some space um, you know, do you, do you need to talk? Um, and that has become so important. I, during COVID, it was interesting because so many of us, uh, myself included, were, were really despairing and wondering, how are we ever going to get out of this? And I went back and I, I was reading about, I, well, I wanted to read about how the country came out of the, the 1918 pandemic. Um, which were so horrific and so how did we how did we get out of that and i went back and started reading some of the the, the books that were written about that pandemic at the time and um there wasn't much mention about the recovery and i talked to a historian friend of mine and i said you know i'm, I'm looking for something that that really looks at how did the country come out of that and he said world war one and it never even clicked that that's you know that's what was going on um and so you know it, it it's interesting because here we are now what three years into this um i mean it'll be let's see it was march of 20 right so yeah it's almost three years what since the the outbreak of of covid and um it hasn't gone away we knew it wouldn't and I'm still not sure that we've recovered, quote unquote, whatever the hell that means. Um, certainly the economy hasn't recovered. Um, yeah. I don't know if society as a whole has recovered. I mean, I just did some traveling throughout the Northeast and saw a lot of people still wearing masks. Um, yeah. I, to my surprise, there were a couple of places where I went in New York City where they actually required masks still. Yeah. Um, or had brought them back. I don't know if they if, if they had let them go. Um, and so I, I, I'm still questioning, you know, how, how do we get out of this? How do we recover? What does recovery look like? I don't know. I don't know what it will look like. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. But a lot of that comes from, again, you know, the increased feeling that we have for each other. I mean, you know, the, the value that I place on, on, on our friendship, George, yeah, is, is very important to me. Um, you know, for, for, and, and, and I was just going to use a, a, a throwaway and say for what it's worth. I mean, it's, it's not worth anything, right? I mean, it's not worth any monetary value. Um, but it has a value that's, that's really beyond that. Yeah, in some ways, thank you. 
in some ways, I think that maybe the way out of this is redefining or remembering what is worth worthwhile. You yeah. know, I I'm always reminded of this. Sometimes I'm reminded of this quote, and I I cannot. I always forget the exact book and the the numbers, but it's something along the lines of, I was born with a thorn in my side, a messenger from Satan to torment me. I prayed to the Lord to take the thorn away from me. And in his infinite wisdom, I heard a voice call to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for in weakness, my power is made perfect. And I think that this talk about grace, this idea of what's really worthwhile is seeing yourself in the other person. And I think yeah. that maybe what we're doing on some level, talking to a few people here or admiring the relationships we have or taking time to talk to someone you, you haven't met before and not only talking to them, but communicating with them and giving yeah. them some, your sincere ideas. Of, hey, thank you for doing this. I'm stoked you're here. It's a pleasure to see you. And like that goes a long way. That's That stretches yeah. further than any buck will ever go. And I think by by some of the things you said, maybe our objective should be to realign society along the laws of grace and just carry ourselves with a little bit more humility and understand that, hey, material, maybe grace is the shield for materialism, but I, I like what you're saying. And I, I think that it does redefine worth. Like who are we to let the material world define worth for us? Maybe we should be stronger than that. Maybe we yeah. should define what worth is. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I mean, I think the problem is we're running up, we're swimming upstream when it comes yeah. to that, right? Um, you know, we're swimming against a current of capitalism and greed and and materialism that um, makes it very difficult. Uh, you know, as as we were chatting earlier about the fact that the holiday season now has transformed from being Thanksgiving to Christmas you know, four weeks maybe when stores were very busy selling a lot of what they sold, you know, that was the way they made their money really for the year in those four yeah. weeks. That's not really the case anymore because now it's, you know, with the internet, it's 24 seven and we've got, you know, cyber Monday and this Tuesday and that Wednesday. I mean, you know, we've come up with, with names for all these crazy things in order to <laughs> just, just make more money. Um, I mean, we were watching the news a couple of hours ago and, and all the problems that the airlines are having in the last mm. couple of days, particularly Southwest. Yeah. And, um, the fact of the matter is these are, these are corporations that make billions of dollars and, and, and the, and the people who run them make billions of dollars. Yep. And so, you know, when they get on and, and, and complain about how, well, we can't do this because we don't have the resources. It's just like, you make $10 billion a year. You individually, you know, I mean, there's just something out of whack about it. Something just completely out of whack about it. I mean, we all want to be paid what we're worth. Right. Now, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> you know I mean, it's it's based on, I suppose it's based on our experience. It's based on our education. It's based on mm -hmm. our knowledge. It's based on our skill set. I mean, all of those things. Um, but it just doesn't seem to work out that way though, does it? Um, you know, and there are a lot of, a lot of people who are making a lot more money and it's kind of out of whack with what their yeah. skill set is. Right. Uh, you know, I mean the, the big complaint about, about professional sports, I mean, it's, it's insane. 
the salaries that they're making. It's insane. And people say, oh, well, they're only going to work for a couple of years. Yeah, okay. So you spread out what they're getting paid. I mean, I mean, Aaron Judge just re-signed with the Yankees. And I forget what the contract was, but it was some obscene number. Um, you know, and I, I, I posted on Facebook the story, and I said, it's just under what I make as a professor. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, how do we value these things? How do we set a value on them? I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, you know, it, it, and things have changed so dramatically in the last 30, 40, 50 years uh, when it comes to this. I mean, I, I grew up upper middle class in the Bronx. Uh, my father was self-employed. He had a, a, a business. He was a salesman. Uh, my mother didn't work growing up. When I was growing up, she raised the kids. I had two two siblings, a younger brother and a younger sister. I don't know how the hell we lived the way that we did. I really don't. My father didn't make a lot of money. He was comfortable. I think he would have said he was comfortable. And we were always comfortable. We never wanted for anything. But you look at it now and, you know, I look back on that. I mean, I have one daughter. I don't know how the hell he did it. <laughs> Having three kids. I couldn't afford that today. Yeah, it's and I think that there's some other interesting, maybe it's the evolution of our idea of money. You know, and it seems that with mm -hmm. this increased materialism comes increased fear. And with increased fear comes broken relationships. And with broken relationships comes the inability to fully actualize who you are. And it just seems like this cycle is coming. But, you know, I, I choose to think that, you know, it's always dark before the light. And while I see some storm clouds gathering, maybe this is exactly what we need to redefine it. I, I really think that the thing you see happening around the world, whether it's a war going on in the Ukraine, whether it's SBF and this destruction of crypto and billions of dollars, or whether it's the commercialization of Christmas and the stripping of spirituality from the lives around us, it seems to me that it's it's crumbling in on itself. And just like a phoenix, we're going to see something come out of it. And I, I know I said this a second ago, but I really think that the foundation is built from the everyday people from like from Stacy and Ben that are listening to us and Nick listening to us to you and I to the relationships that we build on every day we may never live to to fully actualize and see what comes of the relationship yeah. or the time you spoke with the homeless guy down there and and the the random acts of yeah. kindness that you do for people but i honestly think that those are the cornerstones of building a life worth living and i think we're doing it down here and it's hard because you don't see it you may never see it yeah. but the fact that you know it allows you to have the courage to move forward to continue to do it i, I, I think you're i'm proud you're of absolutely you right you're absolutely right and i think that 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 really speaks to it i mean the, the, the fact of the matter is you may not we may not see it we may not know it right yes. and but we all but again we live in in a world of instant gratification we yeah. want it immediately but we may not see the result you know, I mean, it, it, it's 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 what I deal with in higher ed. I'm talking about the value of a liberal arts education. <clears throat> Excuse me. Value of the liberal arts education is not an immediate payoff. And so when they do these moronic market analyses about, you know, majors and how much they're being paid, it's like, well, yeah, the computer engineers are making a buttload of money right away. Of course they are. They have 
skills that they're learning immediately that are applicable to the real world and what they're doing. Liberal arts education takes a lot longer to sink in because we're talking about thoughts and ideas that you really need to ruminate on. And so I've always said, you know, if you really want to gauge the value of a liberal arts education, talk to people 10, 20 years after they graduate and see how they reflect then. Um, And, you know, luckily, I mean, for Facebook, I'm able to keep in touch with students from literally decades ago and to be able to hear from them about what the and see the value of of what they learned and how it's finally paying off. But it may take quite a long time. Um, And I think that's the case with with things, too, to some degree. I mean, I'm sitting here in my in my study and I'm going to go off screen for a second and grab something. Um, I have always kept this. This is a cane that was my grandfather's. Um, it's a, it's an, I, I used to have a top hat that went with it. That was his. The top hat, unfortunately, got destroyed. But this cane, I mean, I, I don't think it has any monetary value. But it has a lot of value to me sure. because it was his. Um, I mean, he died in 1970. Um, and, you know, I haven't found a picture um with him using it i'm sure that there probably are some somewhere um i probably have some somewhere but there's a value to this to me and i think if we if we think about long-term value of of not just things but of of ideas and thoughts and what we learn and how we feel that we'd be we do better off than we do looking at, well, what's the immediate payoff? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I seeing from this? Because life doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Um, and I think that the, the things that, that are the greatest value to us are the things that are that endure. And oftentimes that we don't realize for a long time afterwards. Um, and whether that's relationships or experiences um you know i mean we could we could talk about experiences and the value of experiences right um and the the fact of the matter is that in most cases you don't realize immediately the value of an experience takes a while to reflect on that and realize that that was really important yeah if you know it's as as we're thinking about value in grandparents and reflection especially this time of year you know, we can take a look at some of the greatest literature that was ever written, and it's 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 obtuse in a way that, you know, it seems it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It seems that in times of calamity, we often look back at literature and you hear these people talk. It was the best time of my life, even though the bombs were raining down. There was a sense of community like I've never. It's almost like when there's these tragedies and calamities in our lives. Everything is stripped away except what matters. And we are shown this is what matters. And it's sad that it has to get to that point. And it may have to get to that point now. But, you know, maybe we could take a clue from that. And I, I'm sure you could think of some great literature of, of every war where people were talking about that. Well, right? I'm just thinking, that, I mean, the, the, the resurgence in the reading of the Diary of Anne Frank over the last couple of years is yeah. really interesting. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 and a lot of Holocaust literature for that matter. But yes, looking back on, on 
on literature that was written during times of, of incredible hardship. Um, I mean, one of my, my favorite George Orwell novels is, is his autobiographical novel called Down and Out in Paris and London. Mm. Um, and it's miserable. I mean, it is, it's a miserable experience that, that this character has living in Paris and London, basically living underground, for lack of another way of putting it. But it, it's, it's a, a brilliant novel because what you see from those experiences is then, as you mentioned earlier, the phoenix, right? The triumph. How do you get out of it? How do you get out of it? Uh, you know, there's a great little video that people can look up on YouTube uh, where Kurt Vonnegut explained the shape of a story um, years ago. It's it's absolutely hilarious, but he's he's absolutely right. He talks about the the, the fact that we can he talks about we can graph stories. He's got a chalkboard. We can graph stories like you do a math problem, and and he says the the greatest stories are the stories where somebody starts out at a certain yep. point and things go really downhill, and then they come back out of it. We love those stories, he says. You know, we want to see how people do that, how they get out of it. And um, I think part of it is because we see ourselves there. And part of it is that it's it's strategizing, yeah. right? I mean, when you're at your lowest point, how do you get out of it? Uh, I think about the the, the book by uh, by Chodron called "Things Fall uh, When Things Fall Apart, um, the Buddhist uh, book, which is really a wonderful book little book on on being just in a horrific place and and how you how you get out of it how you how do you survive um it's a it's a wonderful little book that i highly recommend when things fall apart yeah i think i think uh you know comedy comes from these same places like some of the best comedy is, is yeah. these people that are sitting around their dinner table with nothing to eat you know or like just sharing up a, a small portion and and you have the family of them and someone says something and everyone starts laughing, but it, it's yeah. almost like everything must be stripped away for you to see things clear. And we're so the, the idea of the material has clouded our judgment, has clouded our tables and has clouded our thought process for so long. It's almost like we live in a world of decadence and we're so unhappy about it. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think you're right though. I mean, some of it is, <laughs> is stripping it away. And sort right. of, and almost seeing the absurdity of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I must have been about, oh, maybe 15. We were having a, a Passover Seder, um, which we used to do every, every year. And um, everyone in the family would sit around the table and would, would read the Haggadah, which is the, 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 the story of Passover. And, everybody has their own sort of role. So the youngest reads the four questions. There are different sections of it. <laughs> there was a spot where um, my brother uh, had to read a passage and he misread it. Um, it was something about saving our good future. And instead he, he read it as saving our good furniture. <laughs> we were all on the floor laughing. And it was a moment that just took away, it stripped away the, the pompousness 
of of this the ceremony of it and just showed you know how silly this is right um and it was funny because for years after that whenever we came to that passage we would all just break out laughing because we remembered when he misread it that year but I, i think that that you're right i mean some of the greatest um comedy of course I mean, look at look at slapstick comedy in the 1930s, yeah, right? yeah. which came out of the Depression. I mean, it was people wanting to see silly stuff um, and 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 laugh. Uh, and there was a, a a special on, I think it was on last night on PBS. I haven't seen it yet. On uh, Dick Cavett and Groucho Marx, mm. a big Marx Brothers <laughs> fan, so I want to see it. And uh, you know, I mean, look look at the Marx Brothers comedies. Yep. It's the same kind of thing. It, it it's about stripping away the the kind of the the it's stripping away the decadence in many ways yeah it is right um i mean the characters in most of those films are 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 down on their luck kind of guys and um working menial jobs and you know poking fun at the decadence the chaplain films some of the chaplain films do the same yeah. thing yep. does the yep. same thing um you know i mean he the the the, the uh in that film the the, the rich guy thinks that you know, Charlie has, has has saved his life and is wealthy, and he takes him on, and it's just it's all ludicrous. But I mean, it, it, in many ways, it's it's that kind of looking at the world as being just absurd, right? Which is a a, a in some ways a a very existentialist approach to things. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, of course, uh, you know. Samuel Beckett waiting for Godot and absurdist theater, right? Where I mean, it, the point is to show you that life is kind of absurd. Um, I mean, that that play, if folks don't know it, Waiting for Godot, right? A, a two act play in which two characters, Vladimir and Estragon, wait for a guy named Godot. Um, they've never met him before. They don't know what he looks like. They wait for him. Uh, the play ends. He never comes. Um, and when it was premiered in New York City, um, I had a graduate professor who was actually at the premiere, and he said, people got up at the end of the first act and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> nothing happened. Um, you know, nothing happened. And and in many ways, that's what our existence is, right? I mean, most of the time that we spend alive, nothing happens. I mean, you're waiting for the bus, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say the majority of our life is in process to something, you know, and, yes. and we're we're so caught up in this idea of reaching the mountaintop or yes. cashing the million dollar check or finishing this or finishing that. But the the truth is, you're in process. Even yeah. if you hit that milestone, hey, you made it. Now get back in line. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And we focus more on the journey. Yeah, the journey is more important. Yeah, the and, then, and that, is more important. yeah. It seems, you know, I think that somehow worth and meaning are connected, you know, and we, and the, the beauty of that is that you in life, you can't choose what happens to you, but you and you alone get to choose the meaning of that event. And I think right. if you learn to ascribe or, or give meaning to things in your life, it will be more meaningful and it can be something small. It can be the moment you have breakfast with your daughter. It can be making a cup of coffee for your wife in the morning and putting a little whipped cream leaf on there or something. You know what I mean? And just, and, and like that helps with the process. Like now you have something to look forward to. You have someone to love and you got something to do. And it's, 
maybe that is like the beauty of life is that at any point in time, we can choose to live a wife, a, a wife worth living, a life worth living. You know, I think it's there for yeah. us. And it's conversations yeah. like this that help me bring it out. Like if I'm in a funk or, you know, I'm caught up in work, like it, it's so refreshing to talk to some people. Man, that's another thing. Like I, you and I are having an amazing conversation. It makes my life better. And I look forward to it. And I, I hope other people do, but it's right there for us. We can't yeah. have these meaningful moments. But we, but in order to understand that these things have meaning, we need to take a moment and pause and reflect on it. But yeah. modern life is so fast, we're moving on to the next thing and we are, don't get the chance, many people don't, to stop and reflect and say, oh, wow, that was really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, I think it's, it's, it's numbed our senses. Yeah. And so we're expecting things to be even more incredible, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's got to overwhelm us. Um, and then we're disappointed when, when they don't. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a, a Buddhist idea, right? I mean, you know, life is suffering, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a way out of it, right? And, and part of the way out of it is on, on reflecting and, and contemplating what has occurred to you and making meaning out of it, right? I mean, things have meaning that we oftentimes, you know, brush under the rug. Yeah, it's like, well, wait a minute, that 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 was meaningful, and and so you know, think about that. What does it mean? Um, because really, everything that occurs to us has to have some kind of meaning, um, you know, unless you're in waiting for Godot and he never shows up. Um, I mean, I, I, I believe that there is meaning to things. I don't believe that in that absurdist approach, but I think we, we need to, uh, we need to really pause to think about it and, and, and discussions like the ones that we have and, and, and folks tuning in, you know, are certainly interested in, I think, doing that and, and slowing down and thinking about something, thinking about, well, what does that mean? What's the value of that experience? What was the value of that experience, right? Thinking back on it. And we do that through our whole lives. It's just some of us are a little bit more, um, I don't know, tapped into it and, 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 you know, interested in it. And, and interested in not living a superficial existence? Does that sound too highfalutin? No, I, I, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, in, in today's world of technology and marketing and profit and, you know, not a whole lot of reflection. Uh, you know, uh, we have a... Johnson here. Thank you for making some comments. Nick, everybody, thank you for making some comments on here. You know, he brings Johnson brings up this idea about government. And it seems to me like when I when I look at what's put on the airwaves, it almost seems like, you know, pick your poison, but it just seems like there's all these hate merchants that are trying to get us to not reflect on who we are and 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 what life can be. But I, I do honestly think that there is a brand new marketplace and that's marketplaces for our attention. And it goes back to what you said about us not having the time to reflect. There, there is this 
when you look at some of the new technology and they're monitoring your eye movements or you're looking at the metaverse or, you know, people get paid by likes and followers, there's, there is so much emphasis on, you know, on, on acquiring this new real estate that is attention. And when there's a, a market for attention, there's all these people competing for it. And it, oh, it sure. just, right. It seems odd to me. Well, that's, I mean, that's what Google is all about, right? Yes. It, it's, it's about, about getting eyes on things, right? I mean, that's what so much of this is. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an off track, off tangent um, point, but something that right. we should probably think about. Sure. To talk about in the future is, you know, the, the growing and in recent days, the frightening news about artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, and the ways that now there's, there's these new AI systems that, just are, are are they're kind of frightening in in how how close they are to to Alan Turing's idea. Test, yeah. Um, but you know, I just I laugh at that because you know, so we're so we're getting good at at, at artificial intelligence, and you know, we, we haven't even gotten that good with human intelligence. <laughs> we should work on that. Point. That's um, so true. And, and so I think it's kind of ironic, you know. Um, so we're going to have artificial intelligence will actually be, you know, pretty good. And human intelligence still, eh, we, we, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> right. It's a, it's so hubristic to think that we can create something better than, um, than, than what we have. Like we're not even yeah. trying to make ourselves better. What gives us the idea that we can make something artificially better than when we're not yeah. even trying to make ourselves better. It seems well, and, and of course, the the initial idea behind it is that, well, so it will be able to take care of all these menial tasks and do these kinds of things that, you know, it'll free us up to do what? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, so it's, we, can, um... you know, we can we can watch more Netflix. I mean, you know, what are we doing? I don't see that people are taking advantage of the freedom that technology is giving them to actually advance the species. Right. That's a great point. Like it, it seems that we've gotten away from um, shared sacrifice and shared goals. And now mm. it's just who is, who has the most. And when you get there, you undermine the foundation. Like it's, you know, you've taken away, the idea that we all share things together, that we're all part of this. You've taken away this idea that, you know, you don't come into this place, you come out of it. And when you come out of it, everybody's working together to create a better life for our children. Maybe, maybe my kid doesn't have the same life that someone else's kid have, but we can have the same goals. We can have the same sacrifices. And if I see somebody else do it, maybe I learn how they do it, or maybe they learn from me. And when we stratify the way we, when we set up this pyramidal structure where, okay, this person up here has the most, they're better. Wait a minute. Like the, yeah. we get back to worth like that. That's not true. And so I bet you there's a lot of people <clears throat> I have fell into this before where, you know, it's almost like when you see somebody who's really wealthy, you assume that they've earned that you assume that they've done something great to get it, but that's not always the case. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. It, it's, and I think that the value of, of collaboration. Yes. Um, is 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 often lost right i mean yep. so working together we can make significant advances and changes um you know benjamin mentions you know the the, the 
AI was the same promise of the computer. It, it really was, right? I mean, you know, we've mentioned it before. I mean, that, that fantastic essay by Vannevar Bush, as we may think, written in 1945, where, I mean, he basically predicts the internet. Um, right. You know, the whole idea was, well, it's going to free us up to do the higher level thinking that human beings really should be doing. It's like, well, how's that working out for you? It's, <laughs> uh, I don't see a lot of that going on. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's looking at, at meaning and value and, you know, as Stacy says, we put too much focus and meaning onto goal-based achievements. Yes. She's certainly, you know, we, we, everything is, we're, we're striving for a goal. We're striving for an end. And again, it's going back to this, you know, it's important to, to instead really focus on the process and the journey. Um, you know, it makes me think about video games, right? Which I do not play, but right. you know, I, I remember playing them in the arcades in the 1980s. But um, you know, they're all goal based, aren't they? I mean, it's all you know, you're 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 looking to achieve something or unlock something to bring you to a next level. Yeah, it's it's it. I don't know. It's it's just we seem to have confused what really is important. Yeah, we've. I think we've lost our way in some ways, and and I, I really think that this unraveling that we're seeing, you know, I, I think I'm hopeful that we can come to a state of clarity before the unraveling completely happens. Because I think that there are things we can do. You know, when when we talk about this uh, this older idea of, you know, um, of computers freeing us up to have more time, like there's plenty of things like. Why don't we tax the computers? All these corporations that have machines, why don't those machines pay a, 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 a income tax? You know, why is it? Why don't the employees that used to work there now make the same amount of money from those machines instead of that money mm -hmm. being kicked upstairs? Like that money yeah. could go in to all kinds of infrastructure. Like there are things we could do if we weren't based in a society in which profit was the only motive. Yeah. And I realize that some people look at that as, oh, well, that's being socialism or that's being this. Like, we don't need those terms. Like, it doesn't have to be that. It could be something right. where we could reinvent ourselves to a point where, you know, I think it's Bhutan that has a gross national happiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no shame in having at least an idea about that. Like, we could measure our wealth by how few homeless people there are. We could do a lot of things that we're not doing because a few people want to continue to go down the path we've been going down, even though it's destructive. Yeah, I mean, the, the profit-driven society, I, I just think has really, um, it has not done us done us well right. um, as a society. Certainly it's done some people very well, sure. um, but it has not done us well as a society. And, you know, when I walk into a store and they have replaced the, the cashiers and the cash registers with the self-checkout things, mm, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. which is, you know, such a controversy. Right. Um, you know, I, and people joke about the fact that, well, you know, they, they should be paying me now because I'm doing their job, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm checking myself out, so I should be paid the, the job of the cashier. But, I mean, you know, the big fear is, well, what happened to all those people? What are they doing? Yep. yep. And you know you can say, well, they're they're freed up because they're doing other jobs. Like, but the reality is they're not. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is most of them probably laid off, yeah. um, and they lose their jobs. And um, it's just it, it it's 
all in the in the name of of profit and yeah. the, the dollar, right? I mean, it, you know, I think it was uh, Benjamin mentioned, you know, the the age of the endless dopamine hit, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, it, that's I, I like that because that's really what it is. I mean, we look for that regardless of what we're doing. Uh, we get that dopamine hit, whether that's from, you know, achieving, uh, unlocking a goal in a, in a video game or getting more likes on Instagram or, you know, all this other nonsense, which just doesn't have any real value. Um, it doesn't really have any real value. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. At the end yeah. of the day, it doesn't matter. All that matters is I've got to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day. I've got to live with myself and care about the people around me. Um, you know, it's one of the the, the messages that that I repeat in the in the the book on the seven deadly sins is this care for you know how we're caring for each other as human beings and caring for each other as just members of humanity and we're we're losing our humanity i mean it's it's that dh lawrence line yeah from from his uh from his essay you know we've lost our son right we've lost our center yeah it's it's an it's a fascinating time we live in and i you know i i heard a good analogy a while back that i, I hadn't heard before I, I really like to talk about the idea of just like a silkworm spins its web and gets caught in it so too do we as a society as individuals and as a planet we spin our own cocoon and we get caught up in this idea of we just spin this web around us and then we live in this cocoon of this is what this is this is what this is and you know, but just like a cocoon, there's a metamorphosis that happens. And I like to think that's kind of what's happening to us as a society. And this destruction that we see, this this end of empire, this idea of, of materialism and this idea of this, you know, all of them, the socialism, the materialism, the homelessness, all these problems that are happening, I think are going to be the detritus of this cocoon. And we're going to break through like education seems to be a spot where we're beginning to see the world change and we're beginning to see the way children are taught are 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 potentially going to be the ones that pave a new way for us but i heard another analogy that's this idea of a snake the way a snake sheds its skin is it finds a really rough patch of grass or a rough patch of dirt or something and then it goes out to that piece of dirt and it starts at its mouth and then it has to wiggle around on this really rough piece of of a rough, rough patch so it can get that skin off of it. And it's really vulnerable at that time. The same way a, a birth is vulnerable, the same way that a cocoon is vulnerable. So is the snake shedding its skin. And I really believe that that is us right now. We are in the cocoon. We are the snake shedding its skin. And I, I think we're, you know, we're not done yet. Like there's a lot of trauma that's probably coming, but if you can understand that we are in a metamorphosis, then you can begin to look for the corrosive part of the cocoon to break out of, then you can look for other people that may need help getting the skin off of them. And I think that that, that is maybe something that's for us to do is to look around and find someone that may be a little bit vulnerable and help them. And that's so rewarding. And I think it'll make your life better. No, I agree. But, but think about how incredibly brave it is for that snake to be, to be willing to be that vulnerable. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, yeah, granted, you could say, well, it's the snake's nature. Okay. But I mean, you know, there is, there is something about that. I mean, being vulnerable is, is 
is scary as hell. Yes, you can die. And you really do have to have some kind of bravery about it to know that, you know, you're going to come through on the other end and be okay. And that's where, you know, as you mentioned, you know, being there for each other when we're going through this vulnerability is really important and understanding that vulnerability and appreciating it and, va and, and valuing the vulnerability. Right? Beautiful. You know, I, I value that you're willing to be able to, to be vulnerable, right? To, 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 to transform into something else. Yeah. The, I, I think that that kind of takes us back to this idea of worth. Like it's worth it to be vulnerable because you have to change. You have to grow. And the only way to do that is to become vulnerable. Otherwise you'll never grow into that, which you need to grow in to be successful or, or happy or nurture someone around you. And you know, what's it, it's worth being vulnerable, right? It's worth yeah. it. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, and I, I think if we look at that that metaphor of of the larva and the cocoon and, and going through those stages, yeah. um, you know, it might be something that's really instructive for us to think about as as a species. That maybe that's that's what we're going through at the moment. Yeah, I, I, uh, David, I, I love talking to you, and I'm so glad that we've had a few moments to to do this. I've been looking forward to this, and. As we're getting ready to land the plane here, would you be so kind as to tell people what you got coming up, where yep. they can find you, and what you're excited about? Sure. So, uh, coming up, I'm working on a on on new blog posts and um, working on two new book projects, um, oh. and and really trying to to figure out how I can get them out. Um, publishing has changed a lot in the last few years. <laughs> And uh, one is on on Angels and Demons, a book that I'm, I'm writing with my wife on Angels and Demons and Pop Culture, which I hope will be out in 2024, I think. I think we're going to finish it next year. And um, then I'm also starting to work on a, a collection just of, of essays, um, some of the things that are in the blog and, and some other pieces as well, um, and, and looking to see uh, where I might be able to to get that out. Um, looking forward to the, the spring semester, um, new year. Uh, we start classes in a couple of weeks here and I'm, I'm teaching a, a, my advanced museum studies course. So my students will be curating a, an exhibit. So I think that's going to be really fun. And uh, looking forward to another trip to the UK in, in June. I'll be in London uh, in May and in, into June for uh, a study abroad trip with students to go to uh, museums in London and uh, excited about that trip as well. That sounds like a whole lot of fun and it sounds like a, uh, it sounds worthwhile and it sounds like a life worth living. So I'm excited <laughs> for that. And I hope everybody checks out David's books. I hope you go to his blog, reach out to him. He's an amazing man who cares a lot about people and, and education and, living a life worth living. And I'm, I'm thankful that we're able to have a few moments to talk about the holidays and, and spend time. So to Johnson, to Stacy, to Benjamin, to Nicholas, to everybody out there that is participating. I love all you guys. I hope you thoroughly have an amazing holiday. And um, that's what we got for today. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for everything. That's what we got for today. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.